This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Blank Podcast, podcast where we delve into those frustrating moments with some well-known people. Uh, I'm Jim Daly. Joining me is just a legend of a person, really. It's Charles Paley Phillips. I thought you were going to say someone else. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're a legend. Well, thank you. That's very kind. A legend in my own... What's what's the phrase? In your own right? No, In your own back garden? Yeah, we'll in go your with own that one. Legend clothes. in my own back garden. The legend in his own back garden. Yeah. I think that's fair, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah. It's a nice a garden. Of, a lot of work's gone into that garden. Yeah, so there you go. I'm Again, like... mainly my wife. <laughs> right. <laughs> does all the DIY. As but you were there for emotional part. support, well, tea making. I think I made, yeah, I made dinners and made stuff. Di- yeah, well, there you go. That's you know. kind of my role. I do quite a lot of domestic chores and my wife does the real hard, yeah. well, stuff. Team effort. Yeah, exactly. How it should be. Yeah. Cool. How's your week been? Uh, not too bad. Yeah. Bit of work here and there. Weather's still quite nice. Weather's, even though we're yeah, all heading in the, towards... We're in the final sort of yeah. throes of summer, aren't we? So I'm sort of clinging up. I'm still wearing shorts, obviously, because that's what I do. And I I wanted to, I've always wanted to be one of those people that wear shorts all year round, but I just... It's silly, really, isn't I think, it? I think I can do it into now, but I think I'm going to be pushing it in the yeah. next few weeks, really. But, you know, why not? It reminds me of summer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's never a bad thing. No, it's not indeed. And talking of summer, mm-hmm. we recorded this podcast back in the summer. Mm-hmm, we did. With 
the wonderful Tiffany Stevenson. I yeah, yeah. Tiffany, but yes, Tiffany Stevenson. Yeah. Who also is, known as Tiff Stevenson. Yes, yeah, she is. Known AKA. As AKA, yeah. yeah. Uh, who is a wonderful comedian and, and a lovely person and a brilliant guest. Yeah, this was a really fascinating uh, podcast. And again, I learned quite a lot from this one. I do, I do most weeks, really. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Tiff was a wonderful guest. And we talked about a range of different things. You know, she's sort of half living in LA. So we talked about, you know, what her life is like now in terms of. Uh, living over there and coming back and yeah, um, the cultural differences as well yeah. generally but also comedy yeah exactly yeah. yeah exactly the approach to comedy is very different in yeah in the two countries and the way that comedy clubs and stuff work yeah so differently to over here as well so which is very fascinating i'm more aware of sort of uk comedy in terms of performances and stuff but mm. um yeah that was interesting hearing that and of course she had a very successful career as well so yeah you know, hearing about that was was great so yeah wonderful guest yeah so that other thing we should dive straight in totally agree it's Tiff Stevenson on the Blank Podcast. Yeah, Hollywood's slightly. got a bit more cachet, right? Tim, Tim Cruise? Tom Tim, Cruise. Tim, Tim Cruise is like Tim his Cruise evil twin brother. Although he's yeah. evil, so even more evil. Yeah. Visited once, like flew in in a helicopter. It was big news in East Grinstead. I was going to say. Yeah, it was a big deal. big news just anywhere in the UK, I think, Tom Cruise helicopter. <laughs> yeah, particularly in East very Grinstead. true. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, they're, they're an odd bunch, Scientology. I mean, that is, <laughs> they they are, that is generous. That's a generous way of saying they're an odd. <laughs> they're slightly weird. Um, yeah, they're interesting. It's a very, I mean, I've only seen the pi- in pictures the the building, but it looks very kind of, I mean, obviously it's very grand and... Stuff, which looks quite, what uh, the Grinstead one? Yeah. No, 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 the Grinstead one. I can imagine is like kind of. I've not actually seen it. Depends. Depends on what you mean, because there's a few. I mean, the celebrity centre is what I'm thinking. Celebrity centre. Blue. It's blue. Right, is yeah. it? Yeah. Is uh, it blue? I'm thinking something in my head. Anyway, with the big, huge cross at the top of it, and Scientology and huge neon. That there's one of those in Hollywood with the with the yellow letters above it. That's, that's what that's, I'm thinking of. Yeah. I think that's the one I'm thinking. Sounds of. like IKEA. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of the IKEA the religion. Of, <laughs> LA. Yeah, everyone there's looking for something, so yeah, it's the perfect place to kind of grab those sort of people. Really, what, your, what do you think of LA? What are your thoughts on it? Oh, I've got lo- loads of thoughts. <laughs> um, are you a fan? I do like it. Um, the sort of inequality or the wealth gap is yeah. Every time I've gone, is more and more obvious, and I see homeless people in New York when I'm there. But I think this time round, I. The level of cognitive dissonance that you have to engage in, I guess, to, to in order to just keep going. Mm. When it's getting worse and worse, I don't know. I like. I mean, I'm going to be there. I've got a visa for three years, so I'll probably be I'll probably be living in LA and then doing a bit of time in New York, and half my year here. Um, but it can, you know, it's beautiful. It's sunshine and lifestyle, and you can get all the stuff you need. But obviously, the other side of it's the, it's the epitome of the American dream. You can see yeah. where it goes completely right and completely wrong. Well, no, well, no one. They say that no one's from LA. Everyone's there that's moved there from somewhere. Yeah. So there's no like sense of real sense of being. I think from LA or community or anything like that. It's just this place everyone well, goes to. Yeah, case their sense, dreams. Yeah. Like it's it's a weird place. Um, yeah, but it's very pretty. <laughs> it is. It is. And especially by the coast. By the coast. By the coast is lovely. Yeah. And Venice towns. and Santa Monica and Santa Barbara and Malibu and all yeah. of that. It's um, yeah. I suppose there are people from there now because they're generations down of yeah. 
from sort of Hollywood. So there mm. are people who are from LA, but most of the people that I like are people who've come from the East Coast or, yeah. mm. you know, but the, culturally there is some stuff there. It's not, it's not a complete wasteland. <laughs> But it is... Um... <laughs> I feel like I'm talking about East Princeton again. <laughs> well, I always think of LA, I think of that Bill Hicks, the Bill Hicks stuff where he wanted it to like flood into the sea. Yeah. You know, because it was such a horrible place that he obviously detested with a, you know, with a passion. And um, I suppose a lot of people still feel like that about LA a little bit. What's yeah. it like working out there though? It's, I mean, the money's way better than what you get here. If yeah. you get money, not in stand-up. Everyone gives you $20 to do a stand-up yeah. set in LA, <laughs> so there's no money. Um, but it's, yeah, I like it. I think there's there's lots of opportunities and there's lots of, um, there's, less cl- there's less inherent classism, so there's just more openness with ideas and people and where you come from doesn't really matter if you've got a good idea and... You want to do something interesting, mm. whereas I feel that's the opposite here. Mm. Like, really? Yeah, yeah. We ev- all of the entertainment industry is still this Oxbridge dominated. Oh right, yeah. You know, the fact they had to do a no more all writing male writing teams, yeah, and then people yeah. were like, well, as long as there's no all female, and like, oh, we might as well cancel all comedy. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's not that attitude there. So, what's it like being a Brit? Do people have mm. expectations of? What you're going to be like and your humour and stuff. The, oh, it's going to be Monty Python. Everything's Monty Python. Um, or they think you give a shit about the royal family. <laughs> yeah. talk to you about Meghan and Harry. <laughs> yeah. So, Meghan. <laughs> Do you love Meghan? Do you love Meghan? I mean, God, Meghan and Harry, like that. <laughs> that is a particular type of woman who's normally driving around in Los... Uh, not at Los Angeles, Beverly Hills. Mm. I've, I, I got cut up so many times by like... <sighs> Like 17, 18 year olds in SUVs mm-hmm. with um, Pomeranians on their laps <laughs> playing Katy Perry yeah. with huge like lip injections. And I'm trying very hard not to be judgmental of all the crazy surgery because I realize that, um, you know, women aren't valued as they get older and people only want to hear you if you're beautiful. And that is the epitome of that. In, but I'm like, oh, you fucking inflatable lip bitch. Just get out of my way. <laughs> God, I like, then it just goes. And I'm like, I can't. So, but I do. I like it a lot. There's, there's a lot to like about it. And then there's, it's like anywhere else. If what, what you see the equality and once you've, mm. you see that. But it's the same in London. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, there's lots to like about it. But you can't walk anywhere as well if you're a city person and you're used to getting about. You yeah, can't you've got walk. to drive. I became an incredibly bad driver while I was over there because you, you have to be. You have oh, to just... I just, well, I've just done that. I've just got in my car to drive here today and I'm like, oh, what am I doing? I'm on the, back on the <laughs> other side, side of the road. Yeah. yeah. But you have to be, everyone drives like an asshole. Yeah. And you have to be so aggressive and no one respects the rules of the road. Yeah. So then you double guess, especially if you're foreign, you're like, you're second guessing yourself going, have I got the rules wrong? Or is that <laughs> guy just yeah. cut me up as what's happened? Yeah. So. But the only thing I can't do when I'm driving there is go into some kind of automatic mode, which is what I do when I'm driving at home. Mm, yeah. Because then I forget and I'm like, I'm on the wrong. What? That's happening. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Well, we went to Malta recently, me and my wife, and uh, we as we drove out of the uh, uh, the car rental, I said to her, "They do drive on the right, don't they?" She was like, "No, they drive on the left." I was very close. Uh, yeah. Starting off the holiday very much on the wrong, but they're the same over there. Like they just road signs are like a suggestion. Yeah. No, like, they're just like whatever, <laughs> serving do whatever suggestion. They want. Yeah, exactly. You can add this. <laughs> you can add this garnish. 
Are we good to go? Yeah, you are good to go. That was um, all great. Well, I thought we were. Yeah, well, we were. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it might yeah. be an idea to snuff the aircon off. It's quite <laughs> yeah. noisy. What you do is head on it. Oh, do I just hit that? Yeah, just hit the off button. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. Not used to the Brit. We're, we're just not used to this weather, are we? No. <laughs> That's oh, well. It's much better. hotter yeah, here than it was in was there. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. But you are by the you're by the coast there, so you've got that. Mm, no, not in Hollywood, and you're in the desert basically. You're just in the yeah, bowl in the middle. All oh, right. Yeah, unless you drive out. Is to that quite surreal though, being in Hollywood? So I'm doing inverted commas here. Um, it is it is weird. It is weird. It's it's great because there is that kind of thing of like, if you're in entertainment, you you can't de de deny the um, mm -hmm. the pull of. I went yeah, to Cantor's. Yeah. yeah, I went to Cantor's, which is like a 1950s diner on Fairfax, and I went in and that day, I particularly, I don't know, I'd quiffed my hair or I'd done something. I was wearing this like kind of fancy dress and she just sat me straight in she was like that was marilyn's booth so i'm gonna put you in there like, you <laughs> wow. and you're like oh of course there's those, yeah. that sense of yeah you know places and just the stuff that's ingrained within us that we know that we mm. kind of you know yeah. so yeah is that daunting at all what sitting in marilyn's booth <laughs> yeah. yeah well yeah, yeah. i guess but um, what's it up to uh Yes and no. I I have a sense of separation from it. Are we we are we've started yeah, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, we will yeah. record this. Yeah. I I have a sense of separation from it in that there's a really there's a very different attitude there. So definitely when you're doing stand up. <laughs> so how stand up works here is you walk into a place, you get up on stage, the audience decides if you're funny. They might recognize you from TV. Normally someone just the MC will go they're very funny or <laughs> welcome to the stage, the brilliant, you know, you might yeah, get one yeah. objective. So how it works in America, specifically in Hollywood, New York, they do it as well, not to the same extent, is they bring people on with a list of credits, <laughs> which to me is so odd because if you meet me for the first time in life, I'm not wearing a T-shirt with my IMDb credits on it, right? <laughs> I would be Why like, not? really? <laughs> yeah, that would be really weird. So I was doing a show at the Improv and... Um, the guy before me was introduced as like, this guy once directed a movie with John Stamos. <laughs> and I was like, what does that have to do with stand-up comedy? And it was so unnecessary because he was funny. Yeah. He was funny. But I was like, yeah. why don't you just let the joke stand for that? And then I was like, I think I'm probably wrong because, and here's the thing. Once, So I didn't ask for anything. I just went up. They went, she's from the UK. She's funny. You know, and I went up. But I I don't think that does you any favours because if everyone else does it, yeah. you just get up looking like the person who's got nothing. Yeah, you know, yeah. I feel like going, I've got loads of credits, guys. <laughs> and also yeah. stand-up base ones. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so it, and then I was like, oh, it's, there's a thing. It's, fame is such a big deal there. Mm. Or your proximity to fame is real cachet in Hollywood. Mm, yeah. So I thought maybe I'll just, next time I'm doing shows in the clubs I'll just get a famous person to stand next to me <laughs> the entire thing and that will help because I was doing my solo shows there as well that's the other thing in LA all the spots are 10 minutes and there's like 25 comics on they go on at 2am don't they yeah and also because there's so many people vying for stage time that's why they have an embarrassment of riches I say they have an embarrassment of riches actually I'll see some of the best stand up I've ever seen and I'll also see something where I think 
how are you even <laughs> given a space on us that this is terrible? How did you so. get to direct that film with John Stamart? Uh, <laughs> that guy was fine. No, he was, but he was, you know, I'm just, I'm conscious that I've said it. I said it to some friends. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, if anyone ever hears that, this guy's going to be like, the fucking bitch. <laughs> she hasn't directed John Stamart. <laughs> um, I've directed Gemma Arterton. Yeah. I don't, I've, oh, but yeah, that, yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, is, that but, just, is that just a, it's just a difference between American Americanisms and you know, if someone came over to Britain and did stand up and they were introduced with all their credits, everyone yes. would just be like, piss off. Yeah, yeah. well, you, you, yes, we're just like, no one gives a shit, mate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, don't bring your CV out yeah, at exactly. the top of the. <laughs> no one likes a show off. No one likes a show off. <laughs> yeah, just here, I think, but that's yeah. a general attitude as to how we approach any kind of entertainment. In America, they tend to go in going, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. And we go and go, this is going to be shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly. our base level, right? So that's where we begin from. And if we have a good time, then that's a bonus. It's a bonus. Yeah. It's like, it wasn't shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's where we start from. It's not, there's, there's no other. I was so sort of true. saying we should have like, rather than do, um, I don't know why we don't just rate by the Bristol stool chart rather than stars. <laughs> yeah. Because that's, that's where British people. Also, we don't like the idea of like being too arrogant. Yeah, mm, oh, 100%. Um, and so I do remember like a few years ago doing uh, getting up in New York and then sort of having to go, oh, sorry, I should explain I'm, I'm, I'm from the UK. I don't think I'm the shit. <laughs> like, so, so, that, yeah, so culturally, there's a few differences there. But I think it's fun and I think it's fun to rip them for it. Mm. And, and actually, at the Indie Nights, I did um, uh, Kristen Chow and Kurt Bronola do this night called Hot Tub which is a slightly more alty night. Nice. Um, uh, Eddie Peppertone was on though, but he's like old school, you know, stand up. He's very, very funny. But they don't do any of that. They just introduce people as to whether they were a cat or a dog person. <laughs> That's more like <laughs> it. So I think it's a, it's a very much a club thing in the way that they've done that. And I think, yeah, I think the, the, the reverse of that is that acts struggle when they came here, come here, sorry, came here. I once got a piece of paper from Michael Winslow who is the guy from Police Academy. Yeah. He's the, really the lovely, yeah. yeah. But yeah. it was the first time I'd met him and I was hosting a show and he just went, there's my intro and it was an A4 page. <gasps> and I just went, yeah, we don't do that here. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, well, no, you've got to say the things. And I was like, yeah, I, they know. Do they need to list every who, Police Academy? Well, <laughs> they know who you are. And he was like, well, if you just do these two or three because they're jokes. And I was like, I don't do other people's jokes. And then yeah. I looked at them and I was like, they're not jokes. <laughs> They're like, he was in Spaceballs, he played the left ball. That is not a joke in my mind. <laughs> That's some of my That's best not... material. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not, I'll just bring you. They Because he was listed as the headliner, so I was like, they yeah. know who you are. I'm not going to go yeah. through and list Police Academy 1 yeah, through yeah. to Infinity, which was another thing on the sheet. You know, I was like, so that there's just a difference in how we do it. Also, MCs aren't really sort of respected in the same way there. Whereas here, everyone knows that whoever's hosting the show is also a comic. And, yeah. You know, is someone that likes to do... Because we've got people like Kitson who came through and just mm, yeah. would do dicking around with the audience. And yeah. there's no way anyone's saying that Kitson's not a comic or a star. Yeah, yeah. You know, so... MC is the most important person on the night, in my opinion. It sets the tone. Yeah. If you've got really... a crap MC, then can ruin the night. But if you've got a good MC, you can, re- you can really make it. But yeah. what's it like then if you're saying you can... You said a minute ago about... Playing with or ribbing American audiences or American comics, you know, for yeah. for their ridiculousness. Let's put it that way. How does that go down? Um, I mm. might just sneeze. Sorry. Okay. Before I answer. <coughs> Bless you. Bless you. As soon as thanks. As soon as I got on the plane, and they switched the aircon on, 
I got hay fever and the woman next to me started sneezing as well. Everyone on the plane, just the, I didn't have it the whole time I was in, I was out there. Um, so be a bit snuffly. Uh, how do they take it? They, um, they seem to be okay with it, I think. I think if you're in comedy, you've got to be able to, they do have a strong roast tradition. Yes. So calling out other comics and giving other comics shit is a big part of their, you know, um, and also with the audience, yeah, you can kind of, there are a lot of comics that will come out and just pick apart people in the audience, mm. which is not a thing I'm crazily a fan of because I feel like I, I, I'm not that interested in the audience. <laughs> I don't want to say it like <laughs> yeah. that, but I've got some ideas and I want to share them. Yeah. And so I'm not here to just take the piss out of your shirt for 45 yeah. minutes. Yeah. It, it sort of seems a bit punching down a little bit if you're if you're doing that, I think. Yeah. And sh- I know that there are some people in the audiences in America who go and they'll be like, yeah, we came and we sat down the first, so you were like, talk to us. You know, like there yeah. are people, like- and there are people like that here yeah. a little bit as well who are like, I want attention, I want attention. But I'm less interested in, in giving it to them. Well, so. and there's this spate of uh, uh, videos on YouTube of uh, comedian puts down heckler. Yeah, These heckler become a thing now, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Is- well, and also, I'm never some... I'm never someone, I've never really been someone who created all of these heckler put downs. Um, when I first sort of started as well, when the audiences were really rough on women, sort of mm. when I first started doing stand up as well. But what I always tended to do was see what was said in the moment and then come off the back of that because most of the time you give enough people rope or you give yeah. the people enough rope, they hang themselves, you know, yeah. or you can have a backwards. Sometimes it's someone just wanting to be engaging with a point and then that can be quite fun. You can get a mm. chat out of that so that mm. it doesn't have to be a win or lose yeah that could just be a bit of fun repartee but it, on those occasions where it's you know someone just relentlessly shouting horrible shit then that's a that's a different thing i guess because some heck some hecklers are like that but some of them don't realize they're heckling they think they're joining in they yes i think they're helping out with the show i'm helping you i'm giving you stuff like mate you're not you're actually interrupting what i'm trying to say <laughs> yes but they don't realize that especially if they're drunk yeah yeah they mm. they yeah i was at a show Recently, I think my uh, yeah yeah my my partner's touring with James Acaster, uh, tour managing James James Acaster, and we were at a show where a guy just wouldn't shut up the whole show, and then had to get thrown out. Yeah, and then he was like, "It's my favourite comic," and it's like you've literally ruined it for everyone. <laughs> what are you doing? You've ruined yeah. it for yourself. I yeah. don't understand why you would do that. Yeah, I would never do that if I was seeing my favourite performer well, of any bizarre, genre, to be honest. Although it's, I guess yeah. it's less accepted in other I think there are comics that sort of invite it a bit more. Like um, if you're going to a, I don't think I don't think James Acaster particularly invites it. Um, but if you're going to a Frankie Boyle or a Jimmy Carr gig, yeah, then you may be going with an expectation that yeah. that's the kind of thing that's going to happen anyway. Yeah, I, I think Jimmy loves it. I don't know that Frankie enjoys it that much anymore. <laughs> with people who really shout out, yeah. Ke- weirdly, Kevin Bridges, and I don't think Kevin Bridges has ever kind of said I want bants with the mm. crowd yeah um, but I think he had to like throw some people out of the SECC arena or oh, something really? during his yeah it must be very awkward that moment where the heck or uh, it, the, the bounce back and forth hasn't worked and you're just yes. like well we're just going to get rid of you now yeah. yeah well if it depends on the type of comedy you do as well if you're doing a tour show and you're doing this narrative and you're trying to mm. get through bits of the show mm. You know, because sometimes, well, in my shows, definitely, I, there are bits where you need to really listen yeah. and 
there might be pathos in that's going to pay off or it might be funny, funny, funny. Then I do a story and then there's a build up to a big mm. funny. Yeah. But if you start interrupting during that build up, you kind of ruin the timing. You ruin that. But also the only bit I can control is how I respond. I can't control how the audience is yeah. going to behave. So yeah. uh, whereas the slightly more one linery comics, I think there's a bit more space for people to. Yeah, that's true. To be rude and horrible. <laughs> <laughs> to get involved in the show. Do you guys have a tissue by any chance? We or? can probably get one, I should think. Yeah, we can get someone Let me go and grab Is that all right? Sorry. No, no, to ruin yeah. the flow. Yeah, it's oh, just a it nightmare. It well. I get it. Apparently it's supposed to come in like... In seven-year waves. Oh, really? Seven years and then you don't. I've had it since I've, I was about six. Right, I've had it... I had whooping cough and then I had it like... But it did ease off in my sort of early 30s. Yeah. And then, then I had a couple of years. I'm and it hasn't eased off yet. Right, right. <laughs> Hopefully I think it will. It, yeah. But I had the same thing as you. Cause I, went to, I lived in America for six months or so. And I was coaching soccer. So I was literally out in fields every day. And I never got it once. Right. It's like a different pollen or something. Or I, I haven't. I had it. I, was, I had it really bad in Greece. Because normally when I leave the country, I don't get it. And I didn't have it in LA. And I'm, oh, thanks. I, I, it's tree pollen for me. So normally now I should be fine. When it starts yeah. getting really hot, I'm okay. It's more spring based. Yeah. How but do you know what pollen it is for you? Um, just from experience, <laughs> just from years of experience. I have literally no idea what mine is. What do you get it early is. summer or late summer or all summer? I, f I feel like I get it all summer. I feel like I get it all year round. <laughs> and it <laughs> might not be not true, but. <laughs> Then it might not be hay fever, it might be allergic rhinitis. Thank you. Oh, so right. it could be dust and stuff like that. Oh, like, shit, thank really? you. Yeah, oh, so if you get one of those machines. Quality that, tissues. That, um, clear, what can sorry. tell you? That'll just make me sound less <laughs> like I have a cold. <laughs> yeah, you get one that kind of cleans the air. Oh, it's like right. A little okay. ionizer thing. You can get them for like. There's ones that take moisture out the air, ones yeah. that, yeah. you know. Yeah. Right, sorry, back, okay. back right, with you. Right. No, that's interesting. <laughs> I've actually learned about my hay fever, so that's actually yeah. been, very, been very useful. So you grew up in Greenford, West London. Mm -hmm. What was what was childhood like? Um, interesting. My family are quite um, eclectic and mad, and I had this very... Um, my mum's from sort of... I've got Welsh family on my mum's side and Romany Gypsy. Okay. <laughs> and my dad is from like rich Scottish Presbyterians. Wow. So that is, it's a very, um, so I sort of identify as working class really. I grew up on a end of terrace house in like a not particularly great area of West London. In fact, People Just Do Nothing, which is in Brentford, is like kind of like five minutes down the road. Oh, from really? Where yeah, I, yeah. Where I grew up. So, um, yeah. So I had, it was... It was interesting having, because my aunt was an actress, um, so my so my dad's sister, but I never really spent or saw her, spent that much time with her or saw her. I just remember her as a child, being this woman. She kind of looked like Audrey Hepburn esque. She always have these massive sunglasses on and a tiny dog under her arm. It was almost like the um, yeah. I don't know what it's like a stereotype of what like an yeah, actress yeah. would be like. Um, so I had that sort of artistic influence. And then my dad was, in the 80s, my dad worked at Wembley as the box office manager. So he did like Live Aid and all of that oh, kind of wow, stuff. Cool. So as a kid, I would sort of, Wembley was sort of my playground. I would be around the re the arena or yeah. 
or the conference center and stuff and just in my dad's office and so and I met quite a lot of people as a kid that were in show business and I guess that means that I'm had a kind of uh what's the word I'm looking for I'm not that easily impressed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I guess right, yeah. I guess I met like Freddie Mercury and like Boy George and John Moss and people like that and sat on Annie Lennox's knee when she was doing her makeup to go on stage with Eurythmics so I'm wow. I guess what yeah fame is not massively ambivalent yeah mm. uh, was yeah so I was are kind of like are you still like that now when you meet pretty much or? like I met Slash that was quite exciting at a, an awards do but did he have his hat on he did yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everyone's always like, does the hair come off yeah. with it? <laughs> Maybe it does. <laughs> Maybe. I think, well, I think it's just, there's no hair there in that, just in, like in that a middle bit. Like a monk. Like, yeah, like yeah. a monk, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so I think it's cool, but I don't get, I don't get this overwhelming kind of rush of fangirliness. Mm. Yeah. Um, also, there's a, and that's, that'll sound like pure arrogance. There's a bit <laughs> of like, kind of like, I think what I do is good. So I don't, yeah. I, I'm not a person who wants to meet people if they, they're not aware of the fact that I'm in the same yeah. <laughs> yeah, industry yeah. as them. Oh, yeah. You know, like, so you, I don't want to meet someone on the level of kind of like, oh, this person is a fan and, you know, I want to meet someone that goes, oh, because I met Slash at an awards where I was doing stand-up, so he saw me on stage. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So that's the kind of ideal situation for me. Hmm. Is that like a respect thing? Like you want people to respect yeah, what I you do? Yeah, I think so. I think it, I want it to feel like even footing, not yeah. like I'm kind of like bootlicking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so, so that's I, not I hold myself in high regard because obviously I oscillate between absolute self-loathing and that anyway. Hmm. But, but yes, I'd like to, um, I don't want to have no power in a room. And mm. I don't know if that's a female thing as well. Yeah. But I do want to have a bit of status. We're all kind of looking for. Well, especially when you have clearly earned that status. Well, you know, you're not, you're not, fake, you're not <laughs> faking it. You know what I mean? Right. Like you've earned that. You've earned that respect. Yeah. So that's only fair. So I think it. Encur- I think Wembley sort of encouraged my, to me to go. Oh, this is. I, I would like this life. This is. Mm. It's quite exciting mm. and cool. But uh, yeah. But also, my aunt was. In in many ways, in terms of acting, my family didn't really want me to do acting because she was quite a tragic character in many ways of like, you know, she came through in the 60s and 70s when it was very, uh, very like quite druggy and, mm. you know, and she was beautiful and, but I think she sort of, you know, I think it, the lifestyle took its toll on her. She was damaged by the... Yeah, yeah, and she died quite, quite young mm. when I was like eight or nine I think yeah so um but she'd come through this path she'd gone to RADA and stuff and you know and whereas I'm a bit of this kind of like chippy person that came through having had no not going to drama school just trying to you know I went to this like kids acting class in West London and yeah I didn't really have it wasn't like she had anyone that she could introduce me to or ever Mm. You know, she was friends with a few people. It was very distant. There mm. wasn't a, you know, I asked my parents, could I go to Sylvia Young or Italia Conti? And they said no. And also it was too expensive. Yeah. So. Um, but there was a, a, you know, they were, you feel that they were perhaps trying to protect you from. Possibly from protection, yeah. possibly money, you know, and, and also just with my parents who are still together now, but. The, they have a weird codependency but like when I was a kid we we sort of 
we were there, but then my mum would leave my dad on like a regular basis. And mm. then we would go into like social housing, like a, you know, to B&Bs and stuff like that. And, you know, and then we were back. There was a lot of upheaval then. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, they'll probably get upset that I say that, but I do feel like, and and, and it's not, it's not, because um, I have a good relationship with them now, but mm. it's not, um, it's not apportioning blame, I guess. The one thing I've learned is that your parents are there to teach you as much what not to do as they are, yeah. to teach you what to do. Yeah. So when you sort of view it like that, then that becomes an easier way of of understanding that they're humans and they have flaws. And then you have to decide if you want to have a relationship with them and accepting of those flaws or yeah. whether you want to be this person that kind of fights them forever, I think. Yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it. We all we all have flaws, you know. And I think when you're a kid, you don't want to see flaws in your parents. So I think no, but you assume like. that you sort of look at them and think they don't. But then you get older and you realise, well, it's impossible not to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and y- you wonder what your kind of role within their world is as well. And you are a reflection of them to a certain degree. And you know, so also my mum had. I have two sisters, so my mum had two kids before. She was with my dad. So, you know, that's ending one kind of relationship. And mm. so that means if you're that uh, the kid in the other family, there's quite a lot of pressure on you to be the most amazing person that could, could ever exist because the decisions that were made have to be justified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. and so that can, you know, that that's an interesting position to be in. I don't really feel that now, but I, f- I felt it when I was, you know, sort of younger now I'm a bit like I'll do my I'll, I'll do what I want shut up what do you think they would prefer you to have done then I don't know I do think I think they both love that I do stand up and and uh they do they love the they love that I do that um but my mum would just be like oh, you're so clever why would you do you know but then also my mum is at the same time the person who'd be like why don't you marry a footballer? So I don't know. <laughs> like, um, I think they probably wanted something with more security and mm. less. If you're a working class person in showbiz, you're also told it's not really a job. You know, there was yeah. a bit of that yeah. discussion. There was from proper. my parents, you know, my dad, because my dad had a band, but then got a proper job. Yeah. So this career is not seen as something that you can do as a career. It's a, it's a bit of fun, but that's yeah. not a real thing. You've got responsibilities. So my dad had to get a job because he's like, the band isn't the thing that's going to pay the bills or mm. do the... You're never going to make it. It's that kind yeah, of thing, yeah. yeah. So so that became the thing that he did to fulfill that side. But, mm. you know, he had to work a proper job. So I think, and I think that happens a lot, you know, working class kids in, in um, any kind of like arts. You do, I just, I didn't even know the Edinburgh Fringe existed till I went for the first time. And I was about 28, I think, the first time I went to the Fringe. So I just didn't know it was a thing. And then when you get there, you realise these systems of privilege. My school was fairly near Harrow Boys School. Yeah. And I really, my like state schools, I, I really resented the privilege. And at that point, they weren't admitting girls at that school as well. So I was like, there was two things. There was the gendered kind of yeah. like opportunity. And there was also just the money, you know, like the boat had hats on their head. I used to like flick them off. <laughs> and go and like on the way, or genuinely on the way, like tip yeah. the boat hats off their heads. That's excellent. So, <laughs> yeah. um, I'd probably do that. Now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, they, so those kind of, those opportunities. So, so for example, at the Edinburgh Fringe, like, the the big venues there are 
one of them is run by, and they're really lovely guys, but they both went to Eton. Mm. And so what I learned was in the first or second year, I think I went to Edinburgh, that one of these venues, oh, so this venue, bring up the Eton boys, the sixth form boys, or the, I don't know if they have a sixth form, or like the last year boy, the fifth year boys, mm. to do a play. And it's oh, just really? a jolly Oh, right. Right. So the idea that Edinburgh can be, and also that's the same with Oxford and Cambridge, you know, you've got this footlights opportunity yeah, where it's right. all a bit of a jolly, it's a bit more of a fun. And then what you get is the insane thing of people who are training to be like doctors and dentists or to work in finance or architecture that come up and go, we'll just do a little play in the afternoon and we'll just fanny yeah. around, you know, and that's... Which venue is that? Uh, what, the one that is run by two guys from Eton? Yeah. <laughs> um, Look it up. You can, you, can work it out. you can work it out. They're they're both very nice. They are very very nice men, but I think a lot of the time people don't understand where these inherent layers of privilege come in, and mm. you know, the 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 fringe is becoming increasingly impossible to do unless you have. I mean, not for me because my career is doing this, so I can self finance myself, and and I get produced as well. Like Live Nation are taking me this year, so that's. You know, that's a position that I've worked for years to to be able to get to. But I think if you're starting out now, even if you do a free fringe venue, the costs are so astronomical. If you yeah. don't live with your parents, if you don't have this support system of a family with lots of money, it's nigh on impossible because it's um, so three thousand pounds. My flat cost me this year to stay at the fringe. Yeah. Um, three thousand pounds for that. And then. You know, getting up there, you travel, mm. you've got to pay flyers, or you could fly your own show if you're doing the free fringe, you've got yeah. to pay the fringe registration. I mean, you're looking at sort of six, outlay, six to seven thousand pounds if you do it on a budget that's like at a free fringe venue before anything else is. That's That's your baseline. Yeah. How many people from working class backgrounds who are trying to get into the arts, so whether it's doing stand up or writing a one person play or you know whatever they're trying to do how many of them have that money just mm. available was there ever like bursaries for anyone people like that kind of thing was that ever a thing um i don't know i mean there's prizes yeah but you've got to be there in the first place to get yeah, the prize exactly yeah i think that. various theaters i mean like soho theater do a bursary for something but i think that's playwriting and i think that's in london yeah so i don't know i'm i'm pretty sure the Fringe has got to a bizarre place where like there's had to be a campaign for fair wages for the venue staff and stuff like this. So it really is at a point where it's kind of become this sort of bloated thing where some a few people are making a lot of money mm-hmm. and then everyone else appears to be unable to live and yeah, that can't a be like a society there. yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, you know what I mean? that could be a viable model for no. that much longer you know i'm at the monkey barrel this year and they do a real thing of they pay fair wages to all of their staff and mm. they all really want to be there and also the split they give the comedians is so much better yeah, yeah. so i you know i've i've not done a one of the slightly more established venues in order to be able to support that and to be able to make some money myself yeah is the fringe still the be all and end all no because I'm, really. I'm, I'm i just feels like it's becoming so expensive and no, i know i know out. a lot of comedians who aren't going well, this you're getting year. priced out you, there's going to be a lot of talented people that aren't going to get the opportunity um it's not the be all and end all it's a 
shop window is kind of, I don't want to say it's like a trade fair because that takes the art out of it. Mm. And because there is this award and stuff, then it becomes the antithesis. And then pre-Edinburgh, there starts to, you start to get in all this press of, these are the people that are going to be nominated. Mm. And that's like, um, almost like, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-fulfilling in a way? Yeah. Like if The Guardian write about your show relentlessly yeah. before you go up to the fringe, then the show's going to get nominated. Yeah. yeah. And then that's, that's kind of, that makes people coming in go, the game's rigged. Yeah. yeah. How do I even get to that stage? Like... I'm not being written about in the, you know. Yeah, same with same with jokes of the fringe. Yes, right. They're all done weeks before. And yes, it's just yeah. Mates from mates from PR companies or whatever. Yeah, people's stuff gets sent over, but you need a PR to get them sent exactly, over in yeah. the first place. So, so, um, <clears throat> so from that point of view, like the award, the award can be a very useful thing, I think. But there are loads of people who've come through without having had that award. And have massive careers. You know, Rob Beckett didn't get nominated in Edinburgh. Catherine Ryan did. Catherine Ryan is like, I'm, I'm not even going to say arguably because she's just factually the biggest female comic in the UK at the moment. Mm, yeah. And I was while I was in LA, there was a huge billboard of her new special on Netflix. Netflix yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, it. Catherine didn't need the fringe in order to. Yeah. And she'll use it to build a show. It's sort of the same reason that I do. Not that I'm saying that I'm Catherine's. Uh, level of, of of fame and everything else, but a lot of comics now use it to build tour shows. Yeah, you know, um, so it can be useful for just for a few people to see you, for them to see you for festivals, other festivals, and to write a new show. That's what I try to do it for. But every about week two, the little hope horse rides into town <laughs> and says, "Come on, go on." Show's quite good. Yeah. Get on, get on the hope horse because yeah. you might get a nomination, and that is you can't go up thinking no. that that's what you're going to do because then essentially you're taking, you know, a gamble of about ten thousand pounds in order to win ten thousand yeah. pounds. It's a, it's a crazy lottery. Um, so yes, <clears throat> the actual experience of doing it and stuff is really fun, but it's but it's but like for me now at this point, but it is by no means the be all and end all or the only way. You've got people doing, you know, content on coming through on Instagram, someone like Mo Gilligan. Yeah. You know. He's brilliant. And then mainstream TV is kind of caught onto that and got mm-hmm. Mo on to do the Apollo and stuff. I think you've been doing clubs anyway for years. Yeah. Um, so there's all these different routes in now. You can, you know, you can create a podcast. Hey, there's hope for you. But does that make sense? That it's not yeah. the it's not the only thing, but it's a thing that you have to do at some point, I think, in order to be a truly great comic. Yeah. Um, because I've met a few of the comics that have been in the clubs for years, and they're like, "I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't waste my money." And I was like, "Well, that's why you never be one of the greats." Yeah. And then we have an awkward, yeah, yeah. Um. So when. When did you? When did comedy become a thing? Like, has it, has it always been there, or was it after doing acting for a bit? When when did it happen? Um, I think I was working with a street theatre company, uh, an all female company, and a couple of the women there were doing stand up. So before, actually, before that, I'd written a little pilot, uh, this thing called Gabby and the Girls, and we made a little teaser, and then it didn't. This is what I mean about opportunities. I did this. I was probably about 26. So it was before I'd started in stand-up. And I wrote this little... We made this great little teaser, this great show. And it didn't get away, but no one came and said, look, 
we should develop you as a writer because clearly you're able to write funny mm. scripts and you're funny because I was doing funny acting roles. So no one kept, this is like development. This is where the different, the gender difference mm. I think really yeah. is apparent. So no one came along and said, can we get, why don't you write a play or why don't you come in and try and write on one of these shows or why don't you write a little sketch for this radio show or anything like that? Mm. So I joined this company. There were some women doing stand up, So I started doing a character um, uh, called Savannah Dior Media Hall. She was like a, <laughs> she was like a, a footballer's wives and girlfriend, <laughs> like, you know, like when the wags were like, yeah, that was a thing. She was sort of like that, but it was all really like, she would talk about like sweet sleeping with George Clooney. I mean, it's horrible. <laughs> I like I had this line, which was like something like, as George got off me and threw the condom in the bin, he said, never call me again. I like, but it was all like, <laughs> and, then, and then she, then she sort of graduated to being this kind of like agony aunt as well. And I did that for about, I don't know, about nine months, but it was very restricting in terms of mm. I, that. Speaking of heckling, I went to Liverpool and I was very late for a gig and I just got absolutely like hammered. It was at a place called Alexander's Jazz Club and uh, I could only respond in character. Yeah. And I've created a character that's maybe not as smart as, <laughs> you know, so I was sort of trapped. <laughs> So that was when I went, right, I'm going to just start doing it in my own voice. Mm. And I think what I was trying to do there was as an actor and a performer, I was trying to give myself some separation because if people didn't like the character, it wasn't they didn't like me. They didn't like her. Mm. And that gave me a buffer. Yeah. Which I think is the way some actors come into stand up anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it is very... uh... I was going to say it's very naked. That's the wrong word, but it's... It's exposing. It's vulnerable. It is exposing, yeah. Being out there doing stand That's just you, isn't it? Yeah. If they don't like it, it's very quickly apparent they don't like it. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah, and you've got no one else to pass the buck onto when you're acting. You can kind of go, well... Look, I watched something the other day. I don't want to say what the film was, but I watched something and I watched an actress in it. It was quite an indie actress and it was in a comedy and I was like, why is she in this? Why is she not funny? Why has she been cast? And then as I continued to watch it, I was like, oh, her script is terrible. Mm. The dialogue's terrible. Yeah. So that's why she's terrible. Yeah. So the fact, like I went through the steps, but I don't know how much an audience member watching goes, that's the script or they go, that actor's shit. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you don't have anyone else to blame that on because you did you wrote the script. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You wrote the script. You decided how all the bits would go. So you claim it's total glory or total failure. Mm. There's no in between. But there's a there's a process to stand up where if you're kicking all the time, that script develops, doesn't it? Because you you get a chance to work on it and you know what works and know what doesn't, and yeah. things can become in theory become better over time. And that's actually quite an empowering feeling, I think. Yes, and and on scripted stuff, and st- I'm I'm working on a on an HBO show at the moment. I think I'm allowed to say that with our with Armando Iannucci. I'm writing on that. Um, wow, that sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> that's nice. Um, yeah. And uh, I think actually, when you watch American sitcoms, when you watch something like Friends, this is where it slightly alters, I guess, to to here because you're saying about you can go on stage and you can rework it and you can rework it and you can redo the funny. In something like Friends in a TV record or studio sitcoms, you'll see they do like five or six different versions Mm. of a line. Right. 
So they get to get the one that gets the funniest laugh on the night, goes in on Seinfeld. I think they, they did that as well, you know. Right. So sometimes they'd have them play the... So in some of the comedies you do that, but I guess drama, less so. Yeah. They, they write the script and depends on how playful people are with the... We did that when people just do nothing. We had... They have a script, and I'd say for me that was about fifty to sixty percent of what I ended up doing in the. Right, I'm gonna say because it feels obviously because it's a mockumentary. You don't it feels unscripted, but I guess there is obviously a basis of a script. There. Well, it won a BAFTA yeah. for scripted. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, right. no, yeah. but it's, I think that's the thing about mockumentaries is that it doesn't feel often feel like there's scripts yes. in there because it just feels improvised. I think even if you improvise, you always have to have a structure to work from otherwise everyone's rattling around not mm. knowing you've got to have a storyline you've got to know yeah. where the scene's going but once you know where the scene's going then that is where you can get the naturalism of yeah. kind of going we know we start here and it's got to end here so how we get there can be fun and yeah. that can be the play and the journey and everything else but it, um someone like christopher guest yeah. i think works like that i think he yeah. has a skeleton of a script and then they go in and like yeah. color add the color yeah. so and scripts are like that sometimes. It, uh, this is how Jonathan Jonathan Ames described scripts to me. Um, so he's great, bit of a name <laughs> drop. But yeah, he was kind of saying that some he sometimes where well, he likes writing prose because he was like sometimes scripts are too much like blueprints. They're too much like schematics. Mm. So you know, if you're doing a bank job, you're looking at the blueprint, but you're not thinking about. <laughs> He didn't say the bank job. I'm saying this now. If you're doing a bank <laughs> yeah, yeah. trip, but that's the only time I can think of schematics or blueprints. When I say. <laughs> so if you're looking at that, you're going, we're going to take this money from the vault, but you're not factoring in that you're going to meet three people who are trying to get money out of the bank and who the security yeah, guard yeah, is yeah, and yeah. how. Yeah. So you've got this outline and then the color and the flavor and the texture and everything else has to come. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's the, uh, and also writing on HBO is the first time I've written for someone who's not me in a script. So that's quite exciting. How have you, how have you found that? Really good. Yeah. I mean, just getting a chance to work on something that Armando's doing is yeah. amazing. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> he's, you know, he's just, a, he's a master, isn't he? So yeah. that's, yeah. I mean, I love pretty much all of the stuff that he's done day to day and yeah. Partridge and Veep and... One of my favourite things is his his own... Um, comedy show yes, that he did on Armistice. Armando's Armistice. So good. Oh, did you ever see Time Trumpet? Haven't seen Time oh, Trumpet. Time Trumpet's excellent. Very as well. good. Yeah. Well, what's, what's, sorry, anyway. sorry <laughs> speaking of writing, what, what's Armando, your yeah. kind of. Oh, I think we could talk. We yeah. could see her talk about Armando Nucci for hours. Um, what's your kind of process like for, for writing, and particularly those difficult sort of blank moments when it's not sort of happening? Yeah. Um, I'm not someone. I'm not great at sitting down. And going, I'm going to do five hours of writing today. Yeah. Some people are. I mean, everyone has their process, right? I don't know if it was, was it Hemingway? He used to get up and go for a walk for like two hours in the morning, then come back and write. And you hear mm. tales of someone going, half a bottle of whiskey and walking around naked. Then I write, you know, like, I don't know who that <laughs> I was. I think today that Dickens would walk for up to 15 miles sometimes. So maybe day. it's Dickens I'm thinking of yeah. then. And, wow. Yeah, and then write. And he was writing in his head obviously yes and then when he came back he was able to put it down on page but yeah just having that space to think sometimes mm. i need to um without distraction yeah, yeah yeah sometimes i just like going out people watching or if i'm out in a place and i'm 
I'm sort of cooking. You're always cooking, right? When you're mm. when I'm writing stand up, I'm cooking. I'm out. I'm in my life. Something happens. Normally, the beginning of a routine is something that irks me or annoys me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Occasionally, it's seeing something wonderful and going, oh, isn't that wonderful? Why do I think that's wonderful? Right. But a lot of the time, it's like <clears throat> I wrote a routine about like baby chinos and it was just observing <laughs> coffee shops full up in Muswell Hill of women going, baby chinos, you know, <laughs> and yeah. then me having this. If you're that desperate for your child to have froth milk jump up and down and breastfeed it um like your kid doesn't need a baby chino yeah. it doesn't need just you know stop um <laughs> so so yeah so that's where they sort of they they cook but in terms of so writing on someone else's script that's very much i get sent the work i need to do and then i sit down and do the work but weirdly that i can sit down and do because it's someone else's framework yeah so I can go in with notes, see what needs to be done, and then that's my brain's like boom on. Okay, do 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 do. Sometimes the um, the lack of um, I guess restrictions when mm. you're writing for yourself ends up being a block. It's like being overwhelmed by choices of things that you need to write about. Yeah. So <clears throat> yeah. So with that, I mean. I'm writing an Edinburgh show at the moment and I just listened to it back. I hate listening to myself back, but I just listened to the preview that I did in LA and um, now I'm like, I've got to go back through and hone that and is that the best version I can do of that? And mm. that's editing. And again, that's easier. But trying to get through those initial stages is me normally walking, walking around the shops, looking at people, observing people. Sometimes I go for a drive. I do this thing, um, which... Um, I haven't done for a little while actually but I'll go what I sometimes do is I'll get in the car and I'll go and drive to somewhere fairly local to me but that I some roads or streets that I haven't been down before and then I'll drive down the street and I'll look at the house I'll pick a house and I'll decide who lives in the house based on what I can see in the windows what the garden's yeah. like what the outside is like and then I sort of create these characters so it could be that I see that there's a you know there's a cat sat in the window or there's a, some kind of ornament or a thing, you know, or a dream catcher. And I was like, oh, Karen, <laughs> you know, like Karen lives yeah, here. Yeah. What dreams didn't get caught in that? Yeah. You know, like, but and she lives here with her husband, Stephen, and they've been trying to have a kid for like five years and he doesn't really want one. And, she, like, and then yeah, I start just yeah. sort of building a story around two people and not even particularly a funny story, but just, so I do little things like that and sometimes snippets of conversation. I've always really wanted to do an improv show, actually, um, <laughs> based on things that I sometimes hear throughout the day. So the other day, someone walked past and was something like, well, I've told Stephen, absolutely not, unless he goes to college. And like just <laughs> yeah. using that as the beginning yeah. of a whole improvisation because you go, what was the rest of that conversation? Yeah, you know, yeah. you just get that snatch and you're like, I want to know what... What, what what's Stephen not going to get if he yeah, doesn't go to yeah, college? Yeah. You know? Such a good idea for an improv. Yeah, show. so if someone steals it, it's mine. Um, <laughs> it's There's a famous vine, isn't there, of uh, a guy sitting on his steps in New York and saying, lady walks past and she's on the phone to her mate and all you hear is, and they were cousins. Right. <laughs> and the guy's like, oh my God, guys, they were cousins. So it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So many jumping off points in that. Yes, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I did, that's me. I'm out in the world. I'm a... Uh, I'm listening and then sometimes writing about real life stuff like the Starbucks thing that happened recently with the pregnant woman being refused coffee. Mm. So I ended up doing a tweet about that. Then it just became it became a viral thing. And then I got a lot of shit online off 
a lot of men going, you know, uh, he was just trying to do his job. Um, and then, but that's now become a routine in the show. Mm. So that's to- you can see the journey of that, the evolution. Sometimes there's a, <clears throat> it takes me longer to realize what the things mean and where they go. Because sometimes I'll come up with an idea and, and is is it for stand up or is it for, I've got this sort of thing called Lost Autobiographies, which I started writing when I was hosting on 4 Extra, which are like books that are self-published or blogs, found blogs, and it's all very deluded people. Like a woman who found Jesus in her bed sheets on fake tan, stuff like stuff like that, right? <laughs> so a woman who's been haunted by a poltergeist, like uh, who rearranges her clothes really nicely. So yeah. stuff like that. So I, they're just, they're basically framed character pieces. So sometimes I'll, I'll get something and I'll go, that needs, that doesn't live in my stand up. That lives over there. Mm -hmm. Or I write the idea down and I try not to be married to what the framework of it will be or what lens I'm going to put it through. Mm. Because it could be that will go in a script or that will be stand up. And the the version, I guess, that I can, I, I remember very specifically it taking a while for me to click what it meant was in my bombshell show. I was, I was in New York walking along the High Line with my mother half and my friend Steve, who we stay with. And we overheard this tour guide. And he he went, over here is pier number 37. This is where the Titanic was supposed to dock. Now we all know what happened there. Tragedy! <laughs> anyway, moving on. And he literally moved on with this group of... Like, and as soon as I heard it, we all looked at each other because I was like, it's already gone in my phone, yeah. right? <laughs> so that was that was just a snippet of, like, the maddest, like, a really bad tour guide. Like, <laughs> what even is that? That's no information. There's about 14 people. Maybe he's not professional. The idea that he just says the word tragedy and then says, let's move on to the next thing. So there's so much there. So that went in my phone and I was like, I, I wanted to talk about it on stage. And then mm. for ages I was like, but I don't know what it means. It needs to have a freight. It can't yeah, just be, I heard a funny thing. Someone else said a funny thing. And, you yeah. know, so it took me a while. And then I realized, I guess, that the 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 root of the, because I built him in the show. I imagine his name is Herb and his wife's called Patty. And yeah. there's this whole routine about him not having, you know, 1% in his coffee. And there's a, <laughs> like, yeah. I imagine this whole world for them. But the main thing that I realized with, with, with him, with Herb, uh, is that what he represented was all of us in a world where the news is overwhelming with tragedy mm. and terrorism and celebrity death and social media that you barely have time to acknowledge what's happened before you have to move on. Mm. So him going tragedy anyway, moving on, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's more tragedy, you know, like, so that, but that took me, I probably sat on that for about six months going, I want to get him in the show. I don't know where he fits. What does he, what does he mean? What does this mm. mean? And I was like, Oh, that's what that represents. It's funny because he's just talked about something. So then it became, that's how he lives his life. Mm. You know, um, so you're so, very you're a very observational person. Yeah, you're always looking for ideas and for things, or just sort of watching the world go by. I guess. Yeah, I I it's one of my uh, it's one of my things that years ago when they used to talk about women not being good at comedy. I'm saying years ago because I'm trying to pretend it's not not a conversation that happens anymore. It still does. Mm, yeah. It's just changed now. It's like can 
good looking women be good at comedy or can this type of woman be you know it just gets ridiculous mm. um but uh can feminists be funny um yeah i always think that the idea that women can't be funny when we're such good observers mm. women are witnesses historically that's just a fact women witness we're witnesses so the idea that observational comedy is better done by men who you know yeah, yeah. aren't as good observers as, as women and, and and that's not to say that there's other skills, you know, but I, you know, I, I remember David Starkey. Is it David Starkey, the historian? Oh yeah, yeah. He's a bit of a knob. Yeah, he said, yeah. Okay. So women He's don't. A big knob, yeah. <laughs> he said women don't um aren't don't make good historians. And I was like, what women who see everything, remember everything. Have you ever had an argument with a woman? Yeah. Like <laughs> we make excellent, we make excellent historians. <clears throat> but if you go back to um, I think this was People's History of the World that I read this in years ago. A big chunky <laughs> that I went. I'm going to use that for a show. Um, but there was a. There, it talks about you know sort of before we're building civilizations when we're going back to hunter gatherer tribes that everyone had separate roles but they were equal. So we were good at different things, and I still feel this now. I think that men and women are good at different things, mm. but we shouldn't rate as one being better better than the other. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm. So men were uh, faster and stronger, but women were better observers and would also then carry the children. Mm -hmm. So when they went hunting for food, women were the ones who were able to observe and see what needed to be caught. Yeah. And the men ran after it and <laughs> speared it, caught it. Did, did that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did the hunt. Yeah. Mm. And then women gathered as well. But but we were good at doing that. And I don't know at what point we decided in the birth of kind of like misogyny, which came sort of after the birth of cl class, really. They, mm. the, the, the two things were tied in together. But at what point we decided that that physical domination was more important than yeah the mm. the observation well it was men that decided because they realized it would keep them in power yes yeah, Which, yeah. <laughs> still in 2019 is the thing and you know the feminism thing is frustrating dominic raab the other day saying oh i'm not a feminist but i just want everyone to be equal I'm like, well then you are a fucking feminist yes you then. Idiot. That's oh it's like it oh it's like the um fathers <laughs> for justice people yeah. i did a panel with the guy from that and he was like feminism and it's the cause of all the problems and I'm like actually you know anyone that believes in me meninism I'm like feminism is already there doing the things that you want it to do yeah, exactly, feminists yeah. want equal parenting yeah so yeah, exactly, it's actually exactly. yeah 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 <laughs> you know like you're it's it, pe feminists want there to be equal parenting you're talking about being denied access to your kids it's yeah. already it's already here doing this for you we want women to be able to work and men to be able to look after kids yeah exactly and that's you know and paternity leave to be equal to maternity exactly, leave yeah you know so that those kind of arguments that are it's fr yeah of course it's frustrating but i mean rob is He's not. He's, he's not of this world. He's not. <laughs> was he the one that didn't realise Dover was quite close to Calais? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he was Brexit secretary, and then went, "I can't stand by this yeah. offer." And I'm like, "The one that you spent two years yeah, negotiating." Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Mate. I always yeah. with people like that. I wonder if it's like a willful, willful ignorance sometimes that they sort of like sort of play like they don't understand it, but they do, and they sort of know what they're doing. Yes. And they'll say anything to keep themselves worse, in power. Though, in a way, yeah. they, 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 well, know, they know how. 
Anyway, well, it's yeah. like Jeremy Hunt saying that he would reduce abortion limits to 12 weeks and then going, you know, I couldn't do anything about it if I was prime minister, obviously, but that's my personal opinion. And I'm like, you've said that. Yeah. You're like, you, I would reduce it to 12 weeks. And I was like, it's funny because I would extend it to yeah. however yeah. old Jeremy Hunt is. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but you've said it because you know that it holds an appeal to your right wing, yeah. conservative, yeah. religious base. Yeah. And that's why you've said it. Yeah. And so everything's done purposefully. And yeah. we, we, we need to stop thinking that people who are in politics are idiots that don't know what they're doing. It's a game at the end of the day. Yes. Everything is curated. Everything yeah. is PR'd. Everything is spun. Yeah. Everything, you know, because we've got clever people who are politicians. We wouldn't want them to not be at least kind of like a baseline of smart. Yeah. I know yeah. we're looking at that when I'm saying about Boris, but that's all, that's curated. That's yeah. Done. Yeah, yeah. Like no one... This is what I believe, like, like this, like no one would leave their shoelaces undone that much without at 14 being put into Velcros and going, (laughs) that's it, you're not allowed shoe. Like no one can be that much of a mess and actually get on in life. So all of these things, they're very um, manufactured, I Mm. guess. It just needs to be called out more, I think. It needs to be questioned more. Yeah. And even the way they speak in... You know, they're, they're trained. There's a young girl coming through uh, the SNP at the moment who I think is just quite interesting, called Keep Forbes. But she's really weird because she speaks in weird intonations when she's talking. You don't know <laughs> where the sentence is going to begin. Or <laughs> so she was on question time and she had the hand movements. This You might be able to they, see this, that. but the, the little, the fist that's not a fist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the, supposed to be passion, but that's non-confrontational. Like sort of thing, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Puppet. Yeah. yeah, that's how we should think of that. Yeah. But she sort of had all of those movements and then she had. She was gesticulating. And I thought she's got some ideas, but then she refused to answer a question with any of her own thoughts. She just said, at the SNP, we, yeah, and that's sure, someone yeah. who, and I can't blame her, but wants to be a career politician, mm. but won't be drawn on their own opinions. And I do feel like we do want a bit more of people kind of going, I'm a member of a party, but, you know. This is actually Yeah, and it's actually okay sometimes to not, your opinion, to not tally up with the party line. Yeah. Like, yes. that's yeah. okay. Yeah. If anything, it's Yeah, better. like you say, you'd have much more respect for people if they did say something. Anyway, I'm not sure how we got down that road. Well, you started bringing up Did, was Dominic it me? Raab. Sorry. <laughs> got to stop doing that. You've got to ruin the conversation when you've got, got to Dominic stop doing that. <laughs> um, Tiff, we, we normally end the podcast by getting our guests to give their advice on blank moments. Right. So we've got lots of people that listen to this pod. Uh, some of them will be creative, some of them won't be. And they'll all have sort of blank moments in their life that they struggle with. What would your advice to them be? <laughs> it's an interpretive term, yeah, of course. Very interpretive. Yeah, a blank moment. Yeah. Oh, um, you want to hope that it doesn't happen when you're functioning heavy machinery. That's what it says on every on every medication that you ever do. No, no heavy machinery. I always yeah, wonder not what drive that is. Your car, if you're, vibrator. Yeah. I think of that as heavy. No, um, uh, blank moments. Is it when you can't think of something to say? Is it spirit escalier? Is that the le spirit escalier? Do you know that's the French term, no. which means the. I think it means like the wit of the staircase, which is 
referring to when you have an argument or a debate with someone or someone says something to you and you walk away and you go, oh, I should have said that. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. what that yeah, is. Yeah. I think that's what that is. That's great. I think it's a spirit. Dis- it's, yeah. Mm. Um, the beauty of being a stand-up is that I get to write those arguments out later on. Yeah. yeah. And m- put them into, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. what I wish I could have said. So I would always say if you have a blank moment, that's totally fine. Um, later on, you can always write what you wish you'd have said. Yeah, yeah. You get to, um, as a creative person, you get to rewrite those wrongs in some kind of scripted format or some kind of, you know. um, Yeah, so that's what I would do. I would say uh, ease into the blank moment. Let Let it be. To use that term from yoga, be where you are now. Yeah, yeah. So just be in it, let it pass, and then you can go and write about it. It's all fodder. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't absolutely. know. Is it all fodder? But I think it is. I'm just trying to live my life as art, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tiff Stevenson, thank you so much. Thank you. Did I yeah. do enough about writing and creative stuff, or yes, is there other absolutely. stuff no, you no, need to fantastic. Fantastic. Loads. You know? It's fantastic. Yeah, that thank was great. So much. Oh, no worries. Cheers. Yeah. That was brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. there you go Tiff Stevenson what a wonderful guest oh it was great and it was lovely to talk to you I've known Tiff for a while now via sort of social media and we've chatted and about all sorts of things and it was just really great to sit down in a room and have a proper conversation with her and uh, she's a really lovely person so it's, you know, yeah and very interesting very easy to talk to yeah. as well which actually happens pretty much every week on this podcast yeah. but it's very nice you know you meet these people who are very successful and you wonder how they're going to be when they come in and they're just instantly really nice and friendly and you feel like you can say anything and ask any questions yeah, exactly. and, and and it is like having a normal chat with people. I know we've got microphones and stuff, and we're in a studio, but generally it's just a normal chat. We kind of forget that we've got these microphones. Yeah, it could be anywhere. It could yeah. be in a coffee shop. And that's what's, that's what's so lovely about doing this podcast, is that we can have like a normal conversation. Yeah, exactly. Well, we hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Thank mm. you, Tiff, for being on The Blank Pod. Um, let's see what tweets we're going to read out this week. So we've got a lovely tweet here from Susan Seddon, who is a, I know is a big fan of the pod. She, uh, she often sends us lovely messages. Oh, lovely. And we've got a, a tweet here. It says, thoroughly enjoyed listening to Giles and Jim's chat with Sanjeev Bashkar, obviously, from the from a few episodes back. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Um, enjoyed hearing Sanjeev's family stories and how he got into comedy, which was, I remember, very interesting because he got into comedy quite late, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Sanjeev was brilliant. Really beautiful words from Sanjeev. And uh, yeah, it was just a really lovely chat. So yeah. Nice for that. Nice to know that that pod has resonated with people mm. as well. So thank you. What a lovely tweet to get. Although they're all lovely. We, we always get yeah, good we tweets. We're very lucky. Um, so if you'd like to do the same and tweet us in, our handle is at BlankPod. Uh, and we're also on Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, blank pod. Yeah, we just like to keep it easy, don't we? Keep it simple. You don't, I don't want to mess about no, with these exactly. silly handles. Exactly. Um, and you can email us as well. You can. Theblankpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, lovely stuff. Uh, so that's it. Thank you very much for Tiff for being this week's guest. Uh, Giles, thank you for just thank being you, you. Well, and thank you for being you. Oh, well, there you go. It's all we can do sometimes, isn't it? Is that be ourselves? Exactly. Yeah. And thanks for listening. We're back with you next week with another guest on the Blank Podcast. Have a great week. We'll see you then.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.